0: Part two of Chapter Seven of the Abandoned Room This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Jules Harlock of Mississauga, Ontario, Canada. The Abandoned Room by Wadsworth Camp. Chapter Seven the amazing meeting in the shadows of the old courtyard. And he searched the face of the dead man for a confirmation, a chill thought, not without excuse under the circumstances, and in this vague light raced along his nerves. Silas Blackburn had moved once since his death, if the power to move and speak should miraculously return to him now. In this house, there appeared to be no impossibilities. The cold control of death had been twice broken. Catherine's entrance swung his thoughts and released him for a moment from Robinson's watchfulness. He found he could turn from the wrinkled face that had fascinated him, that had seemed to question him with a calm and complete knowledge, to the lovely one that was active with a little smile of encouragement. He was grateful for that. It taught him that in the heavy presence of death and from the harsh trappings of mourning, the magnetism of youth is unconquerable. So in affection he found an antidote for fear. Even Graham's quick movement to her side couldn't make her presence less helpful to Bobby. He looked at his grandfather again. He glanced at Robinson as in a dream he heard the clergyman say, The service will be read at the grave. Almost indifferently he saw the dark-clothed men sidle forward, lift a grotesquely shaped plate of metal from the floor, and fit it in place, hiding from his eyes the closed eyes of the dead man. He nodded and stepped to the hall where Robinson tapped his arm and whispered, "'Make way, Mr. Blackburn.' "'He watched the somber men carry their heavy burden across the hall, "'down the stairs, and into the dull autumn air. "'He followed at the side of Catherine along the clearing "'and into the overgrown path. "'He was aware of the others drifting behind. "'Catherine slipped her hand in his. "'It is dreadful we shouldn't feel more sorrow, more regret,' she said. "'Perhaps we never understood him.' That is dreadful, too, for no one understood him. We are the only mourners. Bobby, as they threaded the path behind the stumbling bearers, found a grim justice in that also. Because of his selfishness, Silas Blackburn had lived alone. Because of it, he must go to his long rest with no other mourners than these, and their eyes were dry. Bobby clung to Catherine's hand. If I could only know, he whispered. She pressed his hand, she did not reply. Ahead the forest was scarred by a yellow wound. The bearers set their burden down beside it, glancing at each other with relief. Across the heap of earth, Bobby saw the waiting excavation. In his ears vibrated the memory of the harsh voice. It's deep enough, another voice droned. It was soft and unctuous it seemed to take a pleasure in the terrible words it loosed to stray eternally through the decaying forest bobby glanced at bent stones strangled by the underbrush at other slabs cracked and brown which lay prone half covered by creeping vines the tones of the clergyman were no longer revolting in his ears he scarcely heard them he imagined a fantasy he pictured the inhabitants of these forgotten narrow houses straying to the great dwelling where they had lived punishing this one bringing him to suffer with them the degradation of their neglect so robinson became less important in his mind through such fancies the ordeal was made bearable a wind sprang up rattling through the trees and disturbing the vines on the fallen stones later he thought it would snow and he shivered for those left helpless to sleep in the sad forest the dark clothed men strained at ropes now they glanced at katherine and bobby as at those most to be impressed by their skill they lowered silas blackburn's grimly shaped casing into the sorrel pit it passed from bobby's sight too roughly Dressed laborers came from the thicket where they had hidden and with their spades approached the grave. The sound from whose eminence Bobby had shrunk rattled in his ears. The yellow earth cut across the stormy twilight of the cemetery and scattered in the trench. After a time, the response lost its metallic petulance. Catherine pulled at Bobby's hand. He started and glanced up. One of the black-clothed men was speaking to him with a professional gentleness. You needn't wait, Mr. Blackburn, everything is finished. He saw now that Robinson stood across the grave still staring at him. The professional mourner smiled sympathetically and moved away. Catherine, Robinson, the two gravediggers, and Bobby alone were left of the little company and Bobby, staring back at the district attorney, took a sombre pride in facing it out until even the men with the spades had gone. The ordeal, he reflected, had lost its poignancy. His mind was intent on the empty trappings he had witnessed. He wondered if there was, after all, no justice against his grandfather in this unkempt burial. The place might have something to tell him, if it could only make him believe that beyond the inevitable fact, nothing mattered. If he were sure of that, it would offer a way out of the worst, perhaps the happiest exit for Catherine's sake. Then Dr. Groom returned. His huge, hairy figure dominated the cemetery. His infused eyes beneath the thick black brows were far-seeing. They seemed to penetrate Bobby's thought. Then they glanced at the excavation, appearing to intimate that Silas Blackburn's earthy blanket could hide nothing from the closed eyes it sheltered. At his age, he faced the near approach of that inevitable fact, and he didn't hesitate to look beyond. Bobby knew what Graham had meant when he had said that Groom had brought the ghost back with him. It was as if the cemetery had recalled the old doctor to answer his presumptuous question. There's no use your staying here. The resonance of the deep voice jarred through the woods. The broad shoulders twitched. One of the hairy hands made a half circle. I hope you'll clean this up, my boy. You ought to replace the stones and trim the graves. You couldn't blame them, could you? if these old people were restless and tried to go abroad. For Bobby, in spite of himself, the man on whose last shelter the earth continued to fall, became once more a potent thing, able to appraise the penalty of his own carelessness. "'Come,' Catherine whispered. But Bobby lingered, oddly fascinated, supporting the ordeal to its final moment. The blows of the backs of the spades on the completed mound beat into his brain the end. The workmen wandered off through the woods. From a distance the harsh voice of one of them came back. I don't want to dig again in such a place. People don't seem dead there. Robinson tried to laugh. That man's wise, he said to the doctor. If Peretti spoke of this cemetery as being full of ghosts, I could understand him. The doctor's deep bass answered thoughtfully, Paredes is is probably right. The man has a special sense, but I have felt it myself. The cedars and the forests are full of things that seem to whisper, things that one never sees. Such things might have an excuse for evil. Let's get out of here, Robinson said, gruffly. Catherine withdrew her hand, Bobby reached for it again, but she seemed not to notice. She walked ahead of him along the path, her shoulders a trifle bent. Bobby caught up with her. Catherine, he said, don't talk to me, Bobby. He looked closer. He saw that she was crying at last. Tears stained her cheeks. Her lips were strange to him in the distortion of a grief that seeks to control itself. He slackened his pace and let her walk ahead he followed with a sort of awe that there should have been grief for Silas Blackburn after all. He blamed himself because his own eyes were not moist. Back of him he heard the murmuring conversation of the doctor and the district attorney. Strangely, it made him sorry that Robinson should have been more impressed than Howells by the doctor's beliefs. They stepped into the clearing. The wind had dissipated the smoke shroud it was no longer low over the roofs against the forest and the darker clouds the house had a stark appearance it was like a frame from which the flesh had fallen the black wagon had gone the cedars was left alone to the solution of its mystery paredes graham and rawlins waited for them in the hall there was nothing to say paredes placed with it delicate accuracy fresh logs upon the fire he arose flecking the wood dust from his hands how cold it will be here he mused how impossible of entrance when the house is left as empty as the woods to those who only go unseen bobby saw katherine's shoulders shake she had dried her eyes but in her face was expressed an aversion for solitude a desire for any company, even that of the man she disliked and feared. Robinson took Rawlins to the library for another futile consultation, Bobby guessed. Catherine sat on the arm of the chair, thrusting one foot toward the fresh blaze. It will snow, she said. It is very early for that. No one answered. The strain tightened. The flames leaped throwing in evanescent pulsations of brilliancy about the dusky hall. They welcomed Jenkins' announcement that luncheon was ready, but they scarcely disturbed the hurriedly prepared dishes, and afterward they gathered again in the hall, silent and depressed, appalled by the long, dreary afternoon, which, however, possessed a single virtue of dividing them from another night. For long periods the district attorney and the detective were closeted in the library. Now and then they passed upstairs and they could be heard moving about. But no one save Graham seemed to care. Already the officers had had every opportunity to search the house. The old room no longer held an inhabitant to set its fatal machinery in motion. Yet Bobby realized in a dull way that any moment the two men might come down to him, saying, We have found something. You are guilty. The heavy atmosphere of the house crushed such forecasts, made them seem a little trivial. Bobby fancied it gathering density to cradle new mysteries. The long minutes loitered. Dr. Groom made a movement to go. Why should I stay? he grumbled. What is there to keep me? Yet he sat back in his chair again and appeared to have forgotten his intention. Graham wandered off. Bobby thought he had joined Rollins and Robinson in the library. The only daylight entered the hall through the narrow slits of windows on either side of the front door. Bobby, watching these, was, even with the problems night brought to him now, glad when they grew paler. Paredes, who had been smoking cigarette after cigarette, arose and brought his card table, drawing it close to him. He arranged the cards in neat piles. The uncertain firelight made it barely possible to identify their numbers. Dr. Groom gestured his disgust. Catherine stooped forward, placing her hands on the table. Is it kind, she asked, so soon after he has left his house? paredes started wait he said softly puzzled she glanced at him stay just as you are he directed there has been so much death in this house who knows languidly he placed his fingers on the edge of the table opposite hers what are you doing dr groom asked hoarsely wait paredes said again then bobby scarcely aware of what was going on saw the cards glide softly across the face of the table and flutter to the floor the table had lifted slowly toward the panamanian it stood now on two legs what is it katherine said it's moving i can feel it move beneath my fingers her words recalled to bobby unavoidably his experience in the old room don't do that the doctor cried paredes smiled if he answered the source of these crimes is as you think spiritual why not ask the spirits for a solution you see how quickly the table responds it is as i thought there is something in this hall haven't you a feeling that the dead are in this dark hall with us they may wish to speak see the table settled softly down without any noise it commenced to rise again catherine lifted her hands with a visible effort as if the table had tried to hold them against her will she covered her face and sat trembling i won't i-pretty shrugged his shoulders appealing to the doctor the huge shaggy head shook determinedly i'm not so sure i don't agree with you I'm not so sure the dead aren't in this hall. That is why I have nothing to do with such dangerous play. It has shown us, at least, that you are a psychic, Mr. Paredes. I have a gift, Paredes murmured. It would be useful to speak with them. They see so much more than we do. He lifted his hands. He waved them dejectedly. He stooped and commenced picking up the cards. The doctor arose. "'I shall go now,' he sighed. "'I don't know why I have stayed.' "'Bobby got his coat and hat. "'I'll walk to the stable with you.' "'He was glad to escape from the dismal hall "'in which the firelight grew more eccentric. "'The court was colder and damper, "'and even beyond the chill was more penetrating "'than it had been at the grave that noon. "'Uneven flakes of snow sifted from the swollen sky.' Heralds of the White Invasion. No more sleepwalking, the doctor asked when he had taken the blanket from his horse and climbed into the buggy. Bobby leaned against the wall of the stable and told how Graham had brought him back the previous night from the stairhead, to which he had gone with a purpose he didn't dare sound. The doctor shook his head. You shouldn't tell me that. You shouldn't tell anyone you place yourself too much in my hands as you are already in graham's hands maybe that is all right but the district attorney you're sure he knows nothing of his habit which seems to have commenced the night of the first murder no and i think paredes alone of those who know about that first night would be likely to tell him see that he doesn't the doctor said shortly i've been watching robinson If he doesn't make an arrest pretty soon with something back of it, he'll lose his mind. He mightn't stop to ask, as I do, as Howells did, about the locked doors and the nature of the wounds. How shall I find the courage to sleep tonight, Bobby asked. The doctor thought for a moment. Suppose I come back, he said. I've only one or two unimportant cases to look after. I ought to return before dinner. I'll take Graham's place for tonight. It's time your reactions were better diagnosed. I'll share your room and you can go to sleep, assured that you'll come to no harm, that harm will come to no one through you. I'll bring some books on the subject. I'll read them while you sleep. Perhaps I can learn the impulse that makes your body active while your mind's a blank. The idea of the influence of Paredes, which Graham had put into words, slipped back to Bobby. He was, nevertheless, strengthened by the doctor's promise. To an extent the dread of the night fell from him like a smothering garment. This old man, who had always filled him with discomfort, had become a capable support in his difficult hour. He saw him drive away. He studied his watch, computing the time that must elapse before he could return. He wanted him at the cedars, even though the doctor believed more thoroughly than anyone else in the spiritual survival of old passions and the power of the dead to project a physical evil. He didn't care to go back to the hall. It would do him good to walk to force as far as he could from his mind the memory of the ordeal at the grave the grim impending atmosphere of the house and suppose he should accomplish something useful suppose he should succeed where graham had failed so he walked toward the stagnant lake the flakes of snow fell thicker already they had gathered in white patches on the floor of the forest if this weather continued the woods would cease to be habitable for that dark feminine figure through which they had accounted for the mournful crying after howell's death which graham had tried to identify with the dancer maria as he passed the neighbourhood of the cemetery he walked faster many yards of underbrush separated him from the little time-devastated city of the dead but its mere proximity forced on him as the old room had done a feeling of stealthy and intangible companionship he stepped from the fringe of trees about the open space in the centre of which the lake brooded the water received with a destructive indifference the fluttering caresses of the snowflakes bobby paused with a quick expectancy HE SAW NOTHING OF THE WOMAN WHO HAD STARTLED HIM THAT FIRST EVENING, BUT HE HEARD FROM THE THICKET A SOUND LIKE MUFFLED SOBBING, AND HE RESPONDED AGAIN TO THE SENSE OF A MALEVOLENT REGARD. HE HID HIMSELF AMONG THE TREES, AND IN THEIR SHELTER SKIRTED THE LAKE. THE SOBBING HAD FADED INTO NOTHING. FOR A LONG TIME HE HEARD ONLY THE WHISPERS OF THE SNOW AND THE GRIEF OF THE WIND. When he had rounded the lake and was some distance beyond it, however, the moaning reached him again, and through the fast-deepening twilight he saw, as indistinctly as he had before, a black feminine figure flitting among the trees in the direction of the lake. Graham's theory lost its value. It was impossible to fancy the brilliant, colourful dancer in this black, shadowy thing. He commenced to run in pursuit, calling out, Stop! Who are you? Why do you cry through the woods? But the dusk was too thick, the forest too eager. The black figure disappeared. In retrospect, it was again as unsubstantial as a phantom. The flakes whispered mockingly. The wind was ironical. He found his pursuit had led him back to the end of the lake, nearest the cedars. He paused. His triumph was not unmixed with fear. A black figure stood in the open, quite close to him, gazing over the stagnant water that was like a veil for sinister things. He knew now that the woman was flesh and blood, for she did not glide away, and the snow made pallid scars on her black cloak. He crept carefully forward until he was close behind the black figure. Now he said, you'll tell me who you are and why you cry about the cedars. The woman swung around with a cry. He stepped back abashed, not knowing what to say, for there was still enough light to disclose to him the troubled face of Catherine, and there were tears in her eyes as if she might recently have expressed an audible grief. You frightened me, Bobby. Without calculation, he spoke his swift thought was it you i saw here before but surely you didn't cry in the house the other night and afterwards when we followed carlos the tranquil beauty of her face was disturbed when she answered her voice had lost something of its music what do you mean it was you who cried just now it was you i saw running through the woods what do you mean she asked again i have not run I. "'I am not your woman in black, if that's what you think. "'I happened to pick up this cloak. "'You've seen it often enough before, and I haven't cried.' "'She brushed the tears angrily from her eyes. "'At least I haven't cried so anyone could hear me. "'I wanted to walk. "'I hoped I would find you. "'I thought you had come this way, so I came too. "'Why, Bobby, you're suspecting me of something.' But the problem of the fugitive figure receded before the more intimate one of his heart. There was a thrill in her desire to find him in the solitude of the forest. Only the faintest gray survived in the sky above the trees. The shadows were thick about them. The whispering snow urged him to use this moment for his happiness. It wasn't the thought of Graham that held him back. Last night, under an equal temptation, he might have spoken. Tonight, a new element silenced him and bound his eager hands. His awakening at the head of the stairs raised an obstacle to self-revelation around which there seemed to exist no path. "'I'm sorry. Let us go back,' he said. She looked at him inquiringly. "'What is it, Bobby? You are more afraid today than you have ever been before.' Has something happened I know nothing of? He shook his head. He couldn't increase her own troubles by telling her of that. The woods seemed to receive an ashy illumination from the passage of the snowflakes. Catherine walked a little faster. Don't be discouraged, Bobby, she begged him. Everything will come out straight. You must keep telling yourself that. You must fight until you believe it. The nearness of her dust-clothed slender figure filled him with a new courage, obscured to an extent his real situation. He burst out impulsively. Don't worry, I'll fight, I'll make myself believe. If necessary, I'll tell everything I know in order to find the guilty person. She placed her hand on his arm. Her voice fell to a whisper. Don't fight that way, Uncle Silas is dead howells has been taken away the police will find nothing by and by they will leave it will all be forgotten why should you keep it active and dangerous by trying to find who is guilty katherine he cried surprised why do you say that her hand left his arm she walked on without answering paredes came back to him paredes serenely calling attention to the fact that Catherine had alarmed the household and had led it to the discovery of the cedar's successive mysteries. He shrank from asking her any more. They left the thicket in the open space about the house. The snow had spread a white mantle. From it the heavy walls rose black and forbidding. "'I don't want to go in,' Catherine said. Their feet lagged as they followed the driveway to the entrance of the court. The curtains of the room of death, they saw, had been raised. A dim, unhealthy light slipped from the small paned windows across the court, staining the snow. Robinson and Rawlins were probably searching again. Suddenly Catherine stopped. She pointed. "'What's that?' she asked sharply. Bobby followed the direction of her glance. He saw a black patch against the wall of the wing opposite the lighted windows. It's a shadow, he said. She relaxed, and they walked on. They entered the court. There she turned, and Bobby stopped too, with a sudden fear, for the thing he had called a shadow was moving. He stared at it with a hypnotic belief that the cedars was at last disclosing its supernatural secret. He knew it could be no illusion since Catherine swayed, half-fainting, against him. The moving shadow assumed the shape of a stout figure slightly bent at the shoulders. A pipe protruded from the bearded mouth. One hand waved a careless welcome. Bobby's first instinct was to cry out to command this old man that they had seen buried that day to return to his grave, for there wasn't the slightest doubt the unhealthy candlelight from the room of death shone full on the grey and wrinkled face of silas blackburn chapter seven section two